Hello, everybody. We hope you had a Merry Christmas as Dustin and I talked about what to do for this week's podcast. We decided to reframe a past podcast, one we did with professional golfer Daniel Summerhays. This week, as everybody's looking at the new year and all the things that they want to do better, sometimes we have a tendency to look at ourselves and to discover everything that's wrong with ourselves. We thought that Daniel Summerhays' interview would be a great one to listen to as a reminder to love ourselves. We hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Sportlight Podcast for parents, coaches, and athletes. The Sportlight refers to the time in an athlete's life when they have increased ability to affect the culture around them and the increased opportunity to learn life's lessons through sports. This podcast aims to help parents and coaches capitalize on their athletes' precious time in the Sportlight. The Sportlight Podcast is brought to you by Especially for Athletes program. Well, everyone, we're going to start by listening to that post that we did for our Monday Motivational, and then we're going to get into talking to Daniel about that post. But just to give some context, what we're going to lead off with, with Daniel Summerhays, here's the post we made last Monday. Hey, athletes, it's Dustin. I want to talk to you really quick about a conversation I had with professional golfer Daniel Summerhays this week. Daniel taught me a lesson. He said something to me that I'd never thought before, and uh, I've been thinking about it quite a bit since. We're going to be doing more with Daniel over the coming um, months and hopefully years. But Daniel's been a professional golfer, played in some of the biggest golf tournaments in the world for the last 10 or 12 years or so. He shared this phrase with me that he reminds himself of even in golf tournaments. He has written down, he looks at it when he's playing, two words, love yourself. And I thought about that. I've never really given that much thought. I've given it a lot of thought since we talked about it for about an hour. And I realized how little we really focus on that. Um, Taking care of ourselves and making sure that we're we're not uh, giving so much attention to other things in our life that we forget to take care of of ourselves mentally and spiritually and physically. Um, There's five things I've come up with that we can do to better love ourselves and therefore be more mentally tough and strong and hopefully happier. To me, the five things are, first, don't compare. Second, it's uh, let go of toxic people in our life. Third would be to give ourselves permission to make mistakes and to forgive ourselves. I think we're too hard on, oftentimes we're the hardest on ourselves. We'll forgive somebody else, but we won't forgive ourselves for things and mistakes we've made. I think the fourth thing is that we need to make sure we never take value in how we look, how our body looks, that we don't gather our value in how we physically uh, look. I think we do too much of that, uh, and that becomes a problem. And I think the last thing that we need to, to remember to do is to not speak negatively or think negatively about ourselves. When those negative thoughts start coming through our mind, it doesn't do us any good to speak or think negatively about ourselves. I think of all of those five things I just mentioned that can better help us love ourselves. The one that I think really stands out the most to me is that we forgive ourselves. We give ourselves permission to make mistakes sometimes, know that we're going to forgive ourselves, get our eyes back up, get back to work, and try to be better the next day. I learned a lot from that short conversation with Daniel Summerhays and those two words to love yourself. So that's my message for you this week. Eyes up. Do the work. So we're here with Daniel Summerhays today. Daniel is a professional golfer, has been since, I believe, 2007. 
Is that when you went pro, Daniel? That's correct. And uh, Daniel uh, golfed at BYU. He's in, uh, been golfing professional for several years since, and we're super excited to have him on today. Daniel, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's great to be on with you guys. I'm really excited to be here. I wanted to hop right into a question based off of a discussion. I mean, you and I talked about a ton of things uh, a week or two ago, but one of the things that you talked about, I, I actually did a post on our Instagram page regarding, because it struck me differently than the other things we had talked about, because I, I hadn't really thought of that before. And I spent a couple days thinking more about it. Um this idea of loving yourself at first, when I started thinking about it, I had a hard time wrestling with my mind. Well, is that selfish? Is that, um, is it, you know, if I, if I were to tell that to kids, would it come across as being sort of corny, you know, loving yourself? Like how would they, how, and then I, so I got, I had to like really think more about it. And then I did a post sort of of my thoughts on that, but I, th I think having you here to explain a little bit more about that, why that's something that is important to you, uh, and then getting your thoughts. And I wanted to have Shad's input on that as well as, as, you know, he and I dive into subjects like this all the time. So tell us more about that, Daniel, and why that is something so important to you. Yeah, I, it honestly, it's probably my, my favorite subject to talk about because it's something that I've had to learn and continue to learn. Uh, throughout my life and and that is it it may sound it may sound a little corny but my number one rule and I you know we've de developed some summer haze golf rules over the years and they're truths that I feel like have helped me not only on the golf course but in life and the first rule of summer haze golf is love yourself and it kind of originated you know there's all the positive psychology uh, literature and all these different things, positive affirmations. Um, and, and my brother, you know, as he was my brother, Boyd Summerhays, he coaches Tony Finau on tour and uh, a lot of high level players. And one of our rules was no negative self-talk, you know, because how often have you hit a bad golf shot or missed a free throw or, you know, made an error on the, on the field and, and you say, oh, I suck or, you know, that I'm so bad that I'm so bad. And literally, I think all of us have fallen into that trap. I've been there. Mm -hmm. I'm not I'm not immune to that. But then you, you stay, take a step back and say, OK, what did that just do for myself? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. In fact, that me saying that my subconscious hears it all. It hears everything that I say to it. And so one of our rules, no negative self-talk. And then I, I wanted to make it spin it into like a positive. Instead of no negative self-talk, I was like, speak kindly to yourself. You know, and then it, it formulated to this love yourself. And in fact, there's a new song um, about a year and a half old. It's a a song by an artist, Andy Grammer. I don't know if you guys have heard of Andy Grammer, but he's like a family favorite. Um, now he's probably our family's favorite artist. And he basically every song right now that he's coming out with is like therapy in music form. And he wrote a song called love yourself. And it's kind of what you said. It honestly, it starts out. Uh, I want to love myself without needing someone else to tell me or to show me. 
And he basically says, it's going to sound a little corny. This is going to be awkward, but I'm going to say it anyway. I love you. I don't say it enough. I love you. I, I love who you've become. Don't know how I'm going to say it unless I say it to myself. And then he said, I love myself. You know, and so that's basically that theme. If you don't love yourself, it's impossible to truly, deeply love someone else. To, to give someone your full love and attention and service, to truly have your eyes up, to see other people for who they really are, you have, first have to love yourself. So that's why that's my Summer Haze number one rule. Um, I, I continually battle it um, because life and things, they just want to throw things at you and, and beat you down. But I remember a very specific time in my career and it was only four or five years ago and i've been trying to work on this for years and years and i remember it was the week of the utah championship it was a corn ferry tour event it was the first time i'd played in front of my home crowd my home course for years um and so i was pretty nervous and i was like man i like well i want to play well for my home crowd i want to put on a good show and Another one, I, music's powerful for me. And The Greatest Showman's, again, that's that's up there. And the song was This Is Me. And it was like a remix version of it. And a line that hit me super hard was, um, and I know that I deserve your love. There's nothing I'm not worthy of. And I just like, I, I remember I was running on the treadmill, getting my workout in for the day. And I just started like bawling. <laughs> running on the treadmill and that line it just hit me so hard i was like yeah you're right i deserve to feel good about myself i deserve to feel love from other people i deserve to love myself i deserve to you know make birdie on the last hole and have a good finish and it, it literally hit me like a ton of bricks so a lot of it is loving yourself not because you're a good golfer or you're a good athlete it, those aren't those honestly aren't the things that we should love about ourselves. We should love our core character strengths. We should love that we're curious, that we're hardworking, that we're creative, that we're compassionate. Like those are the core values and character strengths that we can love about ourselves. And when we do that, you can hit a bad golf shot and be like, hmm, that wasn't that wasn't my best, but I'm still, and I say it as a, as a joke now, but I'm still a great person, you know? So that, that is the top for me. And that's why that's number one on that kind of cheat sheet that I've made that I keep with me on the golf course is love yourself. And that genuinely, once we can do that, we can have eyes up and make an impact on other people. That's great, man. I, that's awesome. I appreciate you saying that. You, when you mentioned the negative self-talk, I thought of a Tony Dungy, the old NFL coach for the Colts. He had a quote that I love that I wrote down. He said, same thing, never speak ill of yourself. And he said, well, what goes down in the well comes up in the bucket. Mm. In other words, what you put into your body negatively is going to come out and how you portray yourself and live your life to the world, right? And if, if we're being negative about ourselves all the time, it's probably going to show up on the next shot, right? In a negative way. For sure. I love that. As a parent, I 
kind of have this rule with my kids every now and then they start talking bad about themselves. I just ask them the question, what do you think I would say to someone if they said that about you? Like we're in a crowd of people and someone comes up and says to one of my girls, oh my gosh, you are so bad at that dance move. And I'm sitting there. I wouldn't let that happen. I'd say, what's your problem? Why are you talking to people that way? And so I tell them, I'm not going to let you talk to yourself in a way that I wouldn't let someone else talk to you. So I'm going to get you in trouble and I'm going to, and I'll tell my daughters, stop talking to my daughter that way. I don't want you talking to my daughter that way. I wouldn't let anyone else talk to you that way. I'm not going to let you talk that way without it being confronted. And, but I, I noticed this year as you were talking, Daniel, I'm sure okay with doing it to myself. You know, (laughs) I'm sure. Okay. Like, no one's going to talk to my daughter that way, even my daughter. But I talk crap to myself all day long, it seems like sometimes. And I love, like, just I'm sitting here thinking through how healthy it is to do what you're talking about and to catch yourself. And I love that it's been a lifelong journey that you're still battling with. But I believe that's something that's really important. You know, Daniel, you said when we spoke a couple of weeks ago, you said something about um, it might be, oh, the next shot's the most important. Was that what was that what the phrase was? And I told you how in my coaching, um, I've had a, a, a phrase we've used at, at quarterback elite that Ty Detmer used to always share and Kurt Warner, who have, when they were with the Packers, they had a phrase that it was one play and clear and play the next play, both of those lines. So I'll repeat that a lot with kids I coach. And and I try to do the same when I'm really, I've turned that into sort of a life principle for me one day and clear, you know, yesterday's over, but in, in golf, that's tough, right? It's of all the sports. I think golf's at least for me, Daniel, for you, mine, for me, it's really hard to forget that I just hit two balls into the water and uh, focus on the next shot. But, you know, I'm sure in, in golf, you've learned how to, how to be better at that, but how do we get a, how do we get a 14-year-old, our 14-year-old daughter, Shad, in, in, your, in your particular case, who's not, they're holding on to something, right? A mistake they made in their routine earlier today, and that's why it's still bothering them today. And they're saying, I'm so bad at that. You know, any advice that you've come across in your life as a professional golfer? And by the way, for people listening to this, when I say professional golfer, Daniel, was it 2016, you finished third at the PGA Championship? Yeah. And and shot a did you have the lowest round lowest score in one of the rounds? In the in the US Open, so that same summer I finished tied for eighth at the US Open at Oakmont and I shot sixty-five in the second round, which was only two off the US Open record, you know, of all US Opens. Um and then that same summer I finished third at the PGA Championship. So that was a summer, a summer to remember for sure. And in that in that uh, PGA Championship, you birdied six of your last ten holes on the la- on the back nine, coming in to finish. So that's I want to talk to you more about that, man, because the coach in me and the competitor in me that's clutch. When you're when you're right there with a shot to win it, you're in third place. It's winning time, right? I mean, those last six holes are that's winning time. And some guys fold, and I just watched a replay. Sorry, Sergio. Garcia, I'm throwing you under the bus here, but I was watching a uh, an old tournament. Might I think it was the might have been the Players Championship where Tiger Woods won it back in I think 13, and he and uh, 
he and um, Garcia were one, two, and three. And Garcia hit two balls in the water on 17 and then hit one off the tee in the water on 18. He went from tied to like didn't even finish in the top 10. And Tiger Woods just casually walked up and, you know, finished like par, 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 just like winning time, man. So anyway, I, I want to get into all that stuff later. But how do we take that idea of what you say the next shot's most important or what, what I would say to a quarterback, play the next play, one play and clear and get a young kid to understand this idea of moving on. We, we call it win the hour, and especially for athletes. Last hour's over, time to move on. So I think there's two, there's two ways to not play the next play or to not hit the next shot or make that next shot the most important. One is ruminating and thinking about the past, and the other side is worrying about the future. Um, I've had the fortunate and unfortunate characteristic of future anxiety. I'm pretty good at letting go of the past um, because I, I really think that um, whatever my upbringing was, like I couldn't change the past. So like, why, why worry about it? But at the same time, I felt like I had control over my future <laughs> Which we, which we can inf- influence it, but man, hole 17 at Sawgrass, like you said, I was thinking about it the entire round because you could be five under par coming into 17, the island green, and like Sergio, you can literally walk off with a 10, like a septuple bogey or whatever it is, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I'm very um, familiar. And- I'm very familiar with those. <laughs> <laughs> Way more familiar than you are, Daniel. (laughs) So in my experience, future anxiety has been debilitating sometimes for me. And and what whether that's in life, I'm like, okay, action A right now could could throw a course set a chain of events that might end me up in some place, right? And and that and that is true, but when you are in the moment, when you're playing the fourth hole at Sawgrass, you are on the fourth hole at Sawgrass. You literally can't, you're, you're not even 217 yet. So why am I even thinking about it? Right. It's taking. And so what I, what I say now to myself, I say, there is so many other things in the present moment to worry about that. I have no time to think about 17. If I'm on four right now, I need to gather wind direction. I need to get my yardage. I need to know if it's uphill or downhill. I need to know, you know, if you're Phil Mickelson, what the barometric pressure is at the moment. If you're anyway, he he has a lot of other factors that go into it. But I need to know so many inputs, right? That I have no time to think about number 17. And I think that's similar to to life right now. And, and it's it's a little bit, you know, to kind of quote something from the Bible a little bit, like, there's enough trouble in tomorrow, like, let tomorrow worry about itself. You know, right now, like, we need to, we need to worry about today's day. And there are, you know, so many hours in a day, win the hour. Okay, what are my priorities today? And I, I always talk about time, time management 
as priorities management. In fact, I taught a class at Davis High. That's a that's another story for another time. But I taught a leadership course, and one of the one of the units we did was time management. But we ended up renaming the unit to priorities management because there's enough time in a day to do everything that we prioritize. Right. So when we say, hey, I didn't have time to work out. Well, switch that up. Working out wasn't a priority today and see how that sits. Right. That's a that's a little bit tougher pill to swallow than saying I didn't have time to work out or I didn't have time to do my homework. Uh, homework wasn't a priority. You know, so when you switch that to I didn't have I didn't, it wasn't a priority to go and help that person. Then it starts to sit with you. Okay, how are my hours of the day? Am I winning this hour, this priority? What are my priorities right now? So for me, on the on the course for that next shot and that priority, like those kind of mesh together. I really think they do because I need to worry about the first tee shot and what club I'm going to hit, the strategy, the shot shape. Uh, I need to pick my target out clearly. Um, I need to make sure, again, the wind direction. What are the clouds doing up there? I need to throw some grass. I need to do this and that. And there's so much to consume that one moment that that's really helped me to to forget about the future and and the anxiety for me personally that that that, that contributes to. So um, there are people who deal with past past anxiety where they can't get over the bad shot that they just hit into the water and it affects them for the next three holes they're thinking about it and for those people i think a good phrase it is what it is like that happened it's in the past i literally cannot change the past there's no there's no dvr rewind button <laughs> currently we don't know how to get to an alternative universe where this this might have actually happened in a different me or whatever, right? We don't, you know, we've got all the Marvel movies now, all these different threads and everything saying we have different timelines and everything, but um, we can't change it. It is what it is. And so let it go, move on to the next shot, play the next play. You know, Dustin, as he was talking, I thought of two quotes. One, Stephen Covey, the key is not to prioritize what's on your schedule, but to schedule your priorities. Like your schedule is a reflection of your priorities. If, if you look at what you do every day, no one would say video games is more important than, to me than my grades. Like, well, you could say that, but show me your schedule <laughs> and I'll show you your priorities. I love what you were saying. Like, would we say priority instead of I don't have time to do that? When we say that's not a priority to me, it clarifies some things for us. And, and I love this poem, Dustin, we've, we've read this before, but this poem came to mind while you were speaking by Henry Van Dyke. It was a poem next to a sundial. And you, you both have probably heard this poem. The shadow by my finger cast divides the future from the past. Before it sleeps the unborn hour in darkness and beyond thy power. Behind its unreturning line, the vanished hour no longer thine. 
One hour alone is in thy hands, the now on which the shadow stands. And I love, Daniel, how you went both places, right? So many times we get so lost in what we've done, what's put us in a bad situation. And we just wish we could, we spend all this time and energy. Oh, if I could just go back and do this different, hit that shot again, or make that financial decision again, or whatever it might be. We spend all this time and energy worrying about something that is so beyond our power. And like you talked about worrying about Sawgrass 17, you know, sometimes we look forward, we get so paralyzed by anxiety looking forward and, and forward is beyond our power. But the now on which that shadow stands, if we can win the hour and put our time toward that, we'll get so much more time out of life. And and I love, I just love what you said about priorities. Because man, when I start saying that, you know, I wish I could talk to my kids more and sit down and have personal conversations with them. But instead of saying, I don't have time, saying, but it's just not a high enough priority for me to put it in my day. That just feels so wrong, you know? Yeah. And then it becomes a, then it becomes a dagger. And I actually got a lot of that from that Stephen Covey book, you know, the seven habits and, and the, one of the big things too, was the power of no as well in, in shaping your priorities. You need to be able to say no to certain things in your life that aren't a priority. Um, but the only way to say no is to have like a bigger burning yes inside of you that you're like, no, this is my priority. I do want to have conversations with my kids and, and these kind of things or with my teammates or with my teachers, with my parents. And so I'm going to say no to this one hangout you know, with, with my friends, or I'm going to say no to the extra hour of video games or the extra half hour of perusing Instagram or have a bigger yes burning inside. So you can say no to the things that really aren't a priority. Well, the, the, the truth is we make time for things that are most important to us, right? We do. And so, um, you know, I, I, I'd like your guys' thoughts on, well, your thought first on saying no, both of your thoughts on saying no. Because when you said that, Daniel, I thought I went back to your negative self-talk and love yourself, that sort of thing that, you know, the, this, this, we have to be able to say no to things. I think we often need to say no to our own thoughts, maybe like we got to tell ourselves, stop it. No, don't shad your conversation with your daughters. Like, no, don't let that dog in me tell me that about myself you know uh, the old indian or native american chief sitting bull I, I love this quote he said inside me are two dogs and the one who becomes the alpha is the one that i feed the most and they're right there's that dog that wants to be lazy that wants to sit on the couch and not do anything and apathetic and right that wants the easy life and then there's the go get it conquer the world dog and we have those constantly battling with us all day right so which one do we become who becomes the alpha it's the one that we feed the most it's the one that we entertain the most right and so if we entertain the one that doesn't want to do much every day or wants to play video games or whatever that is in your life um that's who we're going to become um and i think that ability to as you mentioned danny to say no to that dog when it's trying to eat 
and say, no, I got to feed the other one because I love myself. I know what I'm capable of and, and not letting past things, past events. I love that idea of it is what it is. So, you know, to, to parents out here and coaches, I think we need to be better. If, if, if our child in the car ride home wants to talk about, um, you know, the, the, the mistakes they made in the game. I don't think it's a bad thing to say, well, let's learn from it. Like, what did we learn from it? But then we got to move on. Like, we can't think about it after that. Why did you miss the shot? Well, you got to go back and look at your film and see what you did, or why your hands were here or there, or why we threw the interception. But then once we understand the reason for the mistake, it's got to be, okay, it is what it is. We missed it tomorrow. Like, we can't be thinking about this anymore. It's right. Play the next play. It's move on instead of letting our kids sit in it. Cause when they sit in it, that then leads to, like you said, the future anxiety of, well, what am I, am I going to do this again next time? So now I'm hesitant. Now I'm playing not to lose instead of playing to win. And that leads to tentative, unconfident, doubting yourself in the next. And now you've lost the next opportunity because of yesterday. LeBron James, uh, Dustin said, you can't let a failure define you. You have to let it teach you. There's that balance, right? Like on that ride home, it's okay to learn from a failure, but don't be defined by it. Yeah. And there's a, there's a Kobe Bryant, um, little excerpt as well. He was being interviewed and he's like, failure is not even a word. Like it doesn't exist. The only time you fail is if you don't get up Tuesday morning after having a rough Monday and not doing anything about it, you know? And so it is, you learn, you learn from your mistakes. I always say that one of the chapters of my book that someday it's out there that I want to write. One of the chapter titles is you win or you learn dot, dot, dot. And we learn a lot. You know, you don't win and lose like you win and you learn. And and we learn a lot. Like <laughs> we lose a lot. We make a lot of mistakes. That's part of it. Right. And we learn a lot. And but we keep continuing on, continue forward. Um, that's part of that. That resilience is. And, and sorry, I'm getting off on a couple tangents. But when we do love ourselves, we know what character strengths we do love about ourselves. Um, like mine, I'm a curious person. Why did I throw the interception? Why did I hit it into the water there? Is there something I could do in my training that would, that I could improve so that I can av avoid, you know, we can't always avoid, it, but put the odds in my favor of not repeating that. Right. So that's that, that's that love yourself comes back into that. Oh, I love that I'm a learner. I love that I'm curious. I love that I'm a hard worker and I put in time. And and then you say, oh, okay, I'll learn from this and I'll try again. I'll try again. So I, I do love that. And and the um, the next shot as far as your thoughts and saying no to those those thoughts that that are debilitating that that don't serve us. Um, I love that. I, I was just going to say on that, I do a lot of leadership training in different capacities. I try to teach leaders something that you just said, but the way you said it, it applies to ourselves too. In this concept of showing love toward ourselves, I tell them, don't get critical of people, get curious. Like when mm -hmm. something's going wrong, when you're not getting the results 
that you want. Don't get super critical of them. You obviously aren't working hard enough. You obviously aren't doing these things that you're supposed to do. So many of us, when something's not going our way or the way that we would like, we get critical of people. And I found it's way better of a leader, one who gets curious, who goes in, coaches. Hey, let's talk about what are you seeing? I remember Ty Detmer when he was here, Dustin, and we asked him, what made your dad such an incredible high school coach? And he would bring Ty to the side. And instead of saying, why the crap are you throwing that ball? What are you doing? What are you thinking? That's being critical. His dad would bring him to the side and he would say, what are you seeing? Why did you make that decision? That's getting curious, not critical. And I think with our self-talk, just having that mantra in our head, even when people who make serious mistakes, if they'll become curious, why did I do that? Why did I make that decision? What was going on in my mind? Instead of just attacking yourself like you're a moron, you're stupid, you're undisciplined, get curious. What's going on when I when I say that? When I say that to my kid that I don't want to say, when I say this to my spouse that I don't want to say, why is it that I'm lashing out as a coach? What is the emotion behind it? Instead of becoming hypercritical, become curious of yourself and learn. And then you can start addressing those root issues that might lead to things going wrong in life or a play going wrong. So curiosity is way better than being critical. I found that's an aspect of great leaders. They're curious. They're not critical of people. I love that. I was, hundred, the hundred emoji right here. I could throw up there. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Well, I have a real life applicable question then to ask both of you. Um, I had a pitching coach come out to me once in a pitch in a game when I wasn't throwing well. And he came out and I was curious, you know, I thought he might be disappointed or whatever. And I'll never forget it. Cause it was only in high school. He came out and he said, and he was kind of Joe. I thought he was serious for a second. Then I realized he was joking. What did you have for breakfast today? And I thought he was being critical. Like, did you eat <laughs> poison? Cause you can't throw a strike. Like what, what did you eat? He said, I said, I don't know. He's like, no, serious. What's your favorite cereal? And I'm, what's my favorite, uh, what's your favorite cereal? And then he started telling me what cereal he liked. So I told him my cereal and he's like, oh, wow, what kind of toast would you have with that? What kind of jam do you like? Like we had this conversation on the pitcher's mound about favorite breakfast items. And I started smiling and laughing. He got done. He's like, man, relax. You're good. Like, just throw a strike. You're okay. We got you. And he walked off the mound. And I just, it like relieved me. Right. So I've taken that as a coach. Those, there's sometimes, yeah, I just want to Hey, man, is your girlfriend here at the game? Where's she at? Point her out to me. Let me, let's go find her. Like, look up in the, just get their mind off of it. Okay. But Daniel, the reason I wanted to ask that is because I want to tie this back to a parent who's got a child who they agree with everything we're saying right now, but how do you actually get your kid to practice this? Daniel, you just hit a shot behind a tree. You've got five minutes to walk up to it, get your mind right, move on, talk with your caddy, regroup for it. When you're on the putting green and you just missed a four footer and you're still out, you got to go back right back up and putt again. How do you, I know, I, I can't imagine it's humanly possible to not control your, the internal adrenaline and just, 
you know, that or the negative, just the, the, I just missed that shot. I can't believe that, but you have to, right. You have to move on. You have to get better. You got another one. If you don't want to, you know, five putts. So what do you do? Is there a breathing technique? Is there a thought process? Is there something you go through? Cause you have to play the next shot, but the next shots now you don't have five minutes. You have, you know, 45 seconds. What do you do in that moment to get your body back to zone mode to make the next putt? And maybe a parent can think of that with their own child who does struggle and throw a temper and freak out or something, and they can't go down in the crowd and talk them off the ledge. That's a that's a great question, and it's not a simple one to answer. But I, I'm going to try and give probably three antidotes that have helped me. And the first happens off the golf course. And this, again, ties into everything that we've talked about. But it is the practice of mindfulness. I don't know how much you guys have talked about mindfulness or meditation um, on the, on the show or in, in your um, seminars and things that you do, but essentially it is the next shot and it's allowing your brain basically is if you had a, a river that was, you were picturing a river and you had, leaves that kind of floated by and then you saw a pebble shimmer in the water and then maybe a fish even came by and then there was a branch and then anyway so mindfulness is like you're you're there in observing this stream right and you're like oh wow that's an interesting leaf and the leaf is a thought that comes into our mind don't hit it in the water right (laughs) okay that that's a thought or man, what would it be like if I won this afternoon? Oh, I'd love to make the game win. And that's the pebble that shimmers in the water. And then there's a brand. Anyway, the point is mindfulness is just letting those thoughts all pass us. And then we just observe the thoughts. And and it's an actual practice that you can do to stay centered, to stay in the moment, the next play, the next shot. So that's something off the course that I have incorporated and it's helped immensely because then if I do have it, we honestly can't control what thoughts come into our head, but we can control the energy that we give to them. So if I, you know, miss a four footer and I've got the one coming back or I've hit it behind a tree and I'm absolutely, I'm, I'm hosed. Like I, I have no shot out um, or at the green, those kind of practices of being like, Oh, Hey, this is just a leaf in this river. I'm going to let this thing kind of run its course and then move on. And you can get better at having it happen faster. So for example, I remember I was pretty fired up. It was in the Provo open this last fall down at Timpanogos golf course, the old East Bay. And, I hit an incredible shot on this short par four. I was one shot behind or two shots behind the leader and a short par four. I hit a beautiful three wood. Uh, It's kind of a risk reward short par four. Um, And it ended up going in this back bunker, like on a down slope. Like I thought it was going to be 10 feet for Eagle. And then I had basically an impossible bunker shot to get close. And I was pretty fired up. Like, like I was, 
man, I just hit a perfect shot. He hit a terrible shot, got lucky. Anyway, my, my brain was looking at all these things floating in the river and letting it affect me. And then I hit the bunker shot out to like 12 feet. He was closer than I was for birdie now. And I'd hit two basically great shots. And then I do, I remember I just kind of, I kind of stood there and I, I collected my breath and it was almost as if I was seeing the river and okay, interesting. These events happen. Boom. I'm right back here. And the breathing does, it does help. And there are specific ways to breathe the bit. The best one for me is breathing in really deep through my nose and then actually holding my breath for a few counts and then letting it out my lips and you do a few cycles of that and that honestly helps the heart rate come down it kind of sparks that present moment feeling for me again um and then the third the third antidote and again this is a practice is gratitude how can I be grateful in this moment right now? And I've even started jotting some things down during a round, things I'm grateful for during a round. And when we play from a place of, of love and gratitude, we're able to move on and, and things don't affect us as much. I played the um, Corn Ferry Tour qualifying tournament this last fall. And the Corn Ferry Tour, for those who don't know, it's the, you know, it's basically triple A baseball or, or G League basketball. You basically, you're one step below the big show. But I, I was at the qualifier and they had signs. And it was really cool because it was everything that I've been working on. And they had signs as you drove into the clubhouse. And it said, when you're happy, you're motivated. And when you're motivated, you outperform. And I was like, Amen to that, you know, because I've worked so much on gratitude and I actually journal quite a bit. Um, I have an app. It's called Three Good Things. And I journal a lot. Just it could be the, the meal I ate or the person who said hi to me or, you know, a conversation I had with a friend, whatever it is. And you, then you start scanning the world for good. You're, you literally, you change the way your brain works and you scan the world for good. And I like this principle because it is the eyes up. I hit a bad shot at the Memorial Tournament uh, about five or six years ago. And I was, again, I was in a bunker on a downslope, side hill lie. And there was no way I was going to make par. Instead of getting mean, nasty, like, I can't believe this ended up here or whatever. I looked at the crowd and said, hey, does anybody want to try this shot? I got nothing here. <laughs> who, who can? And they started laughing and do it, you know, kind of involved like this eyes up, like, right? And so, uh, and it kind of just like mellowed me out too, um, to where I actually ended up chopping it out onto the green and made like a 20 footer for par. So I, I still did. Um, I, I know I'm rambling on, but these are just things that I definitely want to share with this principle of, of staying in this moment of calming, resetting the first tee box. I haven't hit a first tee shot where I haven't been nervous in 25 years. The nerves never stop. It's that anxiety. It's that. And, and there's good anxiety. And then there's the, the, I, I'd say there's, 
there's excitement anxiety, excitement nerves, and there's the fearful nerves on the other side. And if you're not nervous, if you are nervous, it's actually a good thing because that means adrenaline is coursing through your body and you have the extra potential to perform at a higher level than you ever have before. So that that's the number one thing. But every time I walk on that first tee, you know, in golf, they always, oh, put on the blinders, you know, you got to just stay tunnel focused, tunnel vision. And for me, that made me more nervous because as the people were up in the grandstands looking at me, I was like, man, what do they think about me? Or what are, man, they're going to judge. If I don't hit this tee shot good off this first tee, they're going to be judging me in there. And then it would like work myself up. And instead, I started, I started being eyes up. And I would literally look people in the eyes in the grandstand and just try and make like a connection with them, give them a thumbs up and whatnot. And it was like, oh my gosh, this guy's not here judging me. He's actually here because he wanted a break from work. And he's just sitting here sipping on his Sprite and enjoying watching some guys hit the golf ball better than he's ever dreamed of hitting it. Even if it goes in the trees, it's probably better than he's ever hit it, you know? Um, And just having that eyes up and these personal connections with the crowd literally centered me, refocused me. So those are some of those principles that have really helped me. The, the mindfulness, um, the breathing, the gratitude, and then these eyes up and involve other people in your experience. Um, I, I love, I love watching Steph Curry and Clay Thompson play basketball. They play with joy and they involve the crowd and they, you know, in their warmups, they're getting a kid on the bench to pass them a pass or, you know, it, it's just those kind of things that help you stay in that moment. And it gives you those senses of gratitude, of happiness, and then you can perform better than you ever thought. Wow, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. That's and, and we could do. I know Daniel, we we want to be sensitive to your time here, um, but I, I, I would like to have you back on again because there's a lot more that we'd like to dive into with you. I, I, I was telling Shad before you hopped on. Daniel's one of these guys who gets it. He's not just a really good professional athlete. He's a guy who thinks deeper. Like he has a real passion for a lot of what we're doing, but Daniel, um, thank you so much for taking time. I mean, having a a professional athlete take time to get on with us and talk about all these things. Do you mind if we take 60 seconds and fire? We like to do this little, to call it rapid fire. hundred percent. I got a few minutes. We're good. All right. We're going to, we're going to throw out a couple just random questions at you. And you've got 10 seconds to answer them. And some of these might be kind of goofy as well, Daniel. Okay. And it's not truth or dare. Like you don't have to. But before you do want to know what you did, what cereal you did eat for breakfast that morning. I I might not have had anything the way I was pitching. I I probably skipped everything. But if I could go back and you know what, now that I'm older, though, this is a good, you want to know you're getting older when you start looking at your just go look at your cereal that you eat and when you start when you i go and i'm like wow i'm eating raisin bran but there's not a character associated with the cereal you eat anymore you're old right yeah <laughs> that's right. yeah yeah i'm like oh it's awesome cinnamon yeah so 
cinnamon toast crunch would be would have been what I would have said to my to my. I think, I think back then you're right. Back then that would have been it. We didn't get that very often. That was a little bit. I think that was another fifty cents at the at the grocery store. And mom wouldn't or grand or my my mom. But I nowadays I I see that stuff and I'm like. Oh, I can't touch that. Give me the raisin brand. Give me something. Give me the oatmeal. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's how you know you're like 80. Steel, steel cut oats. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. And a hard boiled egg. I'm good. You go. uh, all right. Okay. You ready? Yeah. How many hole in ones have you had? Six. How many double eagles? One. Interesting. Very interesting. We're tied on double eagles. So how about that? I was there. I was there for Dustin's. I do. The d- double eagle is much harder than the hole in one. You could yeah. get two shots to get it. So I had a, I had a, I had a second one with an asterisk. I, I hit a shot. I hit it really bad. Dropped again. Made it from about two fifty out. So it was a. It was, I guess it ended up being a. Yeah, I counted it. All right. Um, What's your uh, most memorable golf shot you ever hit? Do you have one that just? Yeah, it was a it was a driver off the deck at the John Deere Classic. There's actually a video on YouTube somewhere of it, but it was like I hit my drive bad enough to where I didn't have an iron or like a three wood into the green. It was the final round. I was one shot back. It's actually the year Jordan Spieth won. He pulled out the bunker shot, his mm-hmm. first win. And I hit this cut driver off this side hill line. And it was perfect because the fan, you can hear in the background of the video, he, he yelled out. He couldn't have put it better. He's, driver off the deck! You know, it's kind of how he said it. And I just peered this thing, cut it right around to this back right pin, big bunker in the front right. Um, hit it up there to like 20 feet and ended up making birdie to to get right in a tie for the lead. So that was definitely up there with my most memorable shots. Who's the funniest pro golfer that you've played with? So if I could, if I could have like a, there's a couple different foursomes that, you know, there's kind of like your dream foursome, oh, Tiger and this and that, but just for sheer entertainment value, and these guys are friends and, and they know I love them a bunch, but like I'd put like Matt Every, and these are not necessarily big names, but this is just flat out just entertainment. Matt Every, he just, he plays super fast. He's the guy we were playing one year in a corn fairy event and it was super slow. And he took one of, of a chair from one of the volunteers and literally carried a chair with him for, for four holes, <laughs> you know? pop it right in the fairway and sit on it while he's what he got fined for it but you know so matt every spence levine he's a sweetheart but golf brings out some of the worst in us and just to see a spence levine temper tantrum out there you know every once in a while would be entertaining and then i'd get billy horschel out there to do some uh some of his rapid speaking commentary and um Billy's one of those guys we were playing in a in a threesome at AT&T one year and he's like Daniel we we're playing with the other player he's talking about the other player and he said how does how does someone so big and so strong like this guy how's he hit it so short you know and just <laughs> just says what's on his mind right so if I could get around with those three that would be a pretty entertaining day who's the purest uh swing right now on the tour 
the most impressed I've ever been during some rounds um, were watching Henrik Stenson in Tampa. I played the final round with Henrik Stenson. His iron play was ridiculous. Um, I played with Rory the final round of the players one year, and he was hitting drives and iron shots that I've never seen the ball go that way you know just so so crisp so strong so so long um and then justin thomas i played with him as well several times and just the different trajectories that he could hit his driver some of these drivers he hit super low and you know like into the wind then others he teed it up and he'd launch it at 18 degrees and it's just over these big tall pine trees different things like that so there's some there's some impressive figures out there. Um, your family, yeah, four kids. If you had, uh, uh, now I understand, was this growing up or was this recently that you guys would drive? I've done my homework on you, Daniel. You drive, by the way, everybody, Daniel and I served a, a mission for our church in the same mission, Santiago, Chile. Were you in the South? I was in the West Mission, but Todd Miller. Todd Miller was in the South Mission. Yeah. Santiago, Chile. Um, anyway, so is it true that you used to drive around like an RV? The family would go from tournament to tournament. Was that your family growing up or was that you now with your four kids? Oh, that was me. No uh, no commercial driver's license needed. They, You buy a 45-foot motor home and they hand you the keys and let you hop on the freeway in that baby. So, yeah, we... Uh, did the motorhome thing when our kids were young for five years. Um, fortunate to not not ever have a wreck and <laughs> was able to get around town okay in that in that thing. But yeah, you sleep we, in any you sleep in any Walmart parking lots? Walmart parking lots. That's how we did it. They Walmart they Walmart. they said that per night if they let a motorhome is like one hundred and fifteen dollars on average that was spent for every motorhome that stayed in their parking lot per night. So it was good business strategy. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah, that's cool. I like that. that's grinding, man. That's what I love. That's just grinding on the tour to make it work and taking your family with you and paying your dues. And we have some big fans of your Daniel. I'm 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 becoming your biggest man. I'm Chad. Fire some questions at him. All right, let's just say hypothetically that there's a five foot eleven, forty-six year old guy who wants to get better at golf and shave two strokes off his game. Where could an amateur shave two strokes off their game if they just concentrated on on a few little things? Um, it'll be around the greens for sure. Your bunker play, your chipping and putting. I, I've got kind of a practice framework, right? We'll say this hypothetical 47-year-old, 5'11", you know. Yeah. We'll, we'll just, say he, needs, yeah. <laughs> he may or may not be named Shad, but um, <laughs> he, he needs to spend 70% of his practice time from 30 yards and in. And that and that's a lot. And, and, if, and if this said Shad does ever practice right <laughs> that's where and honestly so if you were to spend two hours at the golf course not not actually on the golf course but practicing you'd you'd need to spend an hour and a half ish of that time just chipping and putting we always love to just go to the driving range and whack a bucket of balls 
but that's not where you shave off your strokes. And if you watch the pros practice as well, that's where they spend almost all their time is, is 30 yards around the green and, and they're putting. Sweet. I'll, I'll make sure that hypothetical guy hears that and maybe applies it. So one other, one other last one, just what would you tell young people now that you look back at like when you were in high school, when you're in, we're in these kids shoes that we talked to, if you could go back and take Danny Summerhays and help him realize how he might be able to use his position as an athlete to help more people around him. What would you go back and tell yourself to give yourself the courage to get out of your comfort zone and and help people? I've thought about that question actually a lot. What, what could I have taught my 16, 17 year old self? And it, and it would have been, honestly, I feel like if I could have really understood what my core strengths were, early on in life um i feel like i would have been more able to have the eyes up a little bit more and to make an impact like oh oh, i'm a learner oh i'm a i'm a mentor i'm a coach i love to learn and teach like those are some things that i that are part of me those are core strength it's not hey i'm a great putter yeah I get the ball in the hole quick, but it's because I've been so curious. It's because I've been creative. It's because I've been um, this thirst for for new information. Like that's why I became a good putter, not not because I was a great golfer. Those are the core strengths. And I wish little Danny would have known that sooner. And in fact, in my leadership course, I, I tried to help the kids do that. So we would do these character strength surveys and personality tests and things just to help them in their self-discovery because again when you know who you are and what your strengths are then you can then you can have that influence on your platform awesome awesome that's great stuff dan so shad i i'm sure you agree with me we need to try to get uh daniel back on there's a lot of stuff we could dive into and daniel we're going to be talking i think quite a bit about a lot of things we appreciate you and and what you stand for is a you know we we love that you're a local guy we're from utah live here we love that you're a local golfer and and we love to see those guys succeed but i appreciate more what you are as a man and and a leader and you're you know i know you're helping the byu golf team while you're you're off here for a second You, you you had a little bit of a break and you hopped into helping the high school golf team while you were figuring out right you wanted to do golfing again and now you're back at it, which I love. I think you're going to do great things. We're cheering for you and hope to have you back on. So we appreciate having Daniel on, everybody. Have a great week. Keep your eyes up. Do the work. This has been the Sportlight Podcast from Especially for Athletes, sponsored by Coca-Cola. You can learn more about Especially for Athletes by visiting the website at especiallyforathletes.org. You can also learn more about the book, The Sportlight, by Shad Martin and Dustin Smith at especiallyforalfies.org slash book.